It's planting season, and it's not too late to make sure your crops grow up fed and happy. Regardless of your spring crop, Fed and Happy offers a variety of worm-casting solutions in liquid and solid form to supercharge your soil, your yields, and your profitability. For fast, vibrant germination and seedling growth, mix your seed with Fed and Happy's screened granular castings pre-drilling. The Fed and Happy liquid seed treat and extracts offer the ideal mix of soluble solids loaded with living beneficial biology, mycorrhizal fungi, humates, and more. The Fed and Happy small spreadable castings are ideal for fast, easy soil incorporation. The large offer long-term stability and soil growth. But you don't have to figure this out on your own. Just call 833-GO-WORMS to speak with our farm team experts for a fast turnaround on a custom solution for your needs. Fare better against pests, disease, drought, and other potential hazards this season with Fed and Happy Worm Castings. Visit FedandHappy.com for a healthy harvest and any lawn, garden, and tree care needs. Available for pickup and on-farm delivery. That's F-E-D-N-Happy.com. Or call 833-GO-WORMS. Happy planting. Welcome. You're listening to Casually Baked, the podcast. Home base for the can of curious. Thanks for tuning in. It's high time. We had a high time. Together. Together. Yes, it's high time. We had a high time. Together. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, your host and Cannabis Lifestyle Guide. If you're tuning in for the first time, I encourage you to go back one episode and listen to part one first. It will set the stage for this healing conversation that's about to begin with Edie Osborne. It's time to get casually baked. I got the bottle of wine, the high dollar kind. I got the West Coast smoke. Cannabis is in millions of humans across this planet. Her energy signature is in them. She has been carrying a signature of oppression and and persecution for so long that she has a lot of fear vibration associated with her because of how she's been treated. And so the healing conversation I do with people, I give everybody a little bit of cannabis and we go through these five questions because it up levels the spirit of cannabis in their bodies to being a spiritual gift and teacher to them. I love that. And so these five questions are best served up with some THC. (laughs) Yes. Yes, exactly. So... Question number one is, and I played with these on my walkabout last year when I bought my little motor home and drove all over and I would walk up to people in RV parks and say, hey, can I have a little healing conversation with you? And they'd look at me and nobody ever said no, because I was pretty much following when spirit would look at me and go, okay, that one right there, go there. So I never felt unsafe. But nervous, for sure, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'd, I'd start with the first question is, do you think we're ready? 
as a as a species for a healing conversation? Yes. Well, people would look at me and they'd go, well, what do you mean, ready? Well, yeah, that's because I'm more awake than they are. Keep is, going. Is, is this is this <laughs> ready thing kind of, um, is it an invitation or is it, a, is, it, is it a challenge? Interesting thought to have around that. Right. So should I feel defensive or open? And so I learned that there are a lot of people who look at what would feel like a very natural question to say yes to and have some skepticism. So it'd be like... So I'd say, okay, so are you ready for the healing conversation? And people would look at me and go, what's it going to, you know, what do I have to give up? Yeah, what's it going to cost me? What's it going to cost me? You know, there's a trade-off to saying yes to this. So I say to people, okay, so here's the deal. That's kind of a trick question. I don't, I don't want you to answer that question. In fact, I don't want you to answer any of these five questions. I'm just going to put them in the field for us to look at and just, and just, dance with them a little bit because every one of these questions invites more and more and more questions. So they're all trick questions. I'm just going to put that out there right up front. That's why they're a pattern interrupt, right? Yeah, this is good. This is good, right? So are you ready for the healing conversation? And the wounded parts say, not so fast. I want my day in court. Don't tell me I have to just heal. And so the old model of sort of positivity and healing means just, you know, putting your story aside, that doesn't apply here. Are you ready for the healing conversation is pretty complex and it, it requires of us to ask different questions. But ultimately, the question is, what gets in the way of us being ready for that healing conversation? So hold that thought. And so when I do these healing conversation sessions with groups I use, I can do it in five minutes, 45 minutes, two hours, eight hours. The eight hour ones are where we introduce cannabis. And so it's, it's a really sweet, mellow day for everybody. And so that first question is, are you ready? And I'll say, don't, don't answer it, right? Let's go to question number two. Question two, maybe we'll see if it's any easier to answer. So question number two is, do you believe we can live in harmony? Now, everybody used to kind of say, yeah, I kind of think we can, but lately, I don't know. I get a yes, but. I'd like to think we could live in harmony, but. The way things are going, I just don't know that we could ever break the logjam of our intractable polarization. Could we ever come together and... Just watching the impeachment hearings, I realized, oh my goodness, we are so locked into our curse of certainty of what's right and wrong here. Who's right? Who's wrong? And, and we need to separate ourselves from that old model of thought to what are the energies that are in play here mm -hmm. in this movement, right? So I say to people, don't answer that question because to believe we live in harmony, you'd have to unpack a whole lot of stuff to really get to the heart of whether we could or couldn't. So let me reframe that question. So if question number one is, are you ready for the healing conversation? Question number two is, do you believe we can live in harmony? And the rewrite on that one is, what would we have to believe to live in harmony with each other? 
Yeah, that's a good reframe. That's a good reframe mm -hmm. because it puts the focus on the beliefs and not the harmony. Well, and also that we're empowered to make actions to get to that place. There we go. There we go. So that, you know, in my day-long sessions, that's a beautiful unpacking of what would we have to believe? Well, we'd have to believe that we're wired for love, that it is in our enlightened self-interest that we would, in fact, want to get to the beliefs where we could live in harmony, right? So that and can, that everybody is as deserving of that same love as I am. That's right. That's right. That we're all the same. We all come from a place of wounding that the unconsciousness of my parents that created my wounds didn't originate with them. They were handed to them and they were handed to my grandparents. And it doesn't take long to look at our story, our timeline, our human timeline and realize that it has been corrupted by the malware of fear for a long, long, long time. Well, and when you look at it, you just want to say, bless all of our hearts. All of our hearts. Oh my gosh. That's like, right. This has been terrible. It's been a rough ride. Yeah. We've done some horrific things to each other in our unconsciousness. You can look at what happened in Nazi Germany and you can look at what's happening in parts of the world now and see it for what it is, which is perpetuated wounding. Mm -hmm. Just projected from one group of people to another over time and politicized and empowered with money and resources in ways that make the whole system feel pretty broken right in this moment. So we recognize that our beliefs are not lining up with our biology. Mm-hmm. And you do, you feel that misalignment. That's and right. if someone can't, that's because they haven't gotten still yet. Yeah. Yeah. So question number two is what would we have to believe to live in harmony? And um, I, I have this whole PowerPoint multimedia presentation that goes with this, with these all beautiful memes and imagery that um, begins to sort of grab all the sensory um, you know, antennae and, and some of the visuals, um, I'll, I'll ask people, you know, like, what would we have to believe? Are we worthy of living in harmony with each other? And people get skeptical. I just show them pictures of babies. Yeah. You know, babies, puppies, kittens. What do you think we love about Facebook is we love the, yeah. the, the reset to our innocence, right? Mm -hmm. That our innocence is still in there. It's still there. We can find it and it can transcend the biases of separation. So this is a pivotal moment in the conversation with people where I can get them to people who would never agree on anything can come together in a conversation about what we would have to believe about each other to mm -hmm. live in harmony. So now we've got some threads of connections starting to, you know, show up in the field. And I say, okay, now don't, don't answer that though. Don't commit to anything. This is, you know, this isn't like an Amway meeting. I'm going to make you sign at the end of the day. There's no fine print here. I just want you to hold a frame of potentiality here that we know that we are not living up to our promise as a species because our promise is that we love each other. Mm-hmm. And it's the malware of fear that has interrupted that pattern. 
right? So our human operating system is based on the source code of love. Fear interrupts that, hijacks us. And so we're living in a massive state of PTSD and hijacked cognitive abilities. We're not even thinking clearly as a species now. We're not living up to the promise of our human story right now, right? So what's getting in the way? And that's question number three. Question number three is, do we know the difference between truth and bias? Wow. Okay, so truth. What is truth? Is It's subjective, right? Because your truth could be different from my truth. And this is where we really find our curse of certainty has created an edge between us that is not a real edge. It's an illusion. It's, it's a projection. Well, and when I think about truth and when I am trying to reconcile what is true, for me, it is, if I'm looking at this now, is it true today? Will it be true tomorrow? Will it be true in a hundred years? Now, if I'm wearing someone else's shoes, looking at it through someone else's lens, is it true for them today? Is it true tomorrow? And is it true for them in a hundred years? And if I can't say yes to all of those things, it's not true. So I'll give you another layer to apply to that. That's a good, I like your layer. I, I, I would hold that frame with you and I would add this to it. Love and truth are the same thing. Yeah. Love and truth are the same thing. Even when the truth is hard, we still prefer truth. Yeah. Right? So I do. I do. We do as humans. That's mm-hmm. why this lying thing that's going on in society now is so disruptive to our human operating system because we are not comfortable when we're out of alignment with truth, our bodies know what truth feels like, but we have been so disconnected from our inner guidance system for so long. In my case, as a baby, my boundaries, my truth, my sovereignty was taken by another through abuse. And so I never trusted my own body to tell the truth because I was told to override my truth by a caregiver who was there to love me, but who also abused me. So this is the dilemma of the abused child, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I have to love this caregiver, which means I have to diminish my response to this abuse in order to survive. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, So hard. So truth has this really unique feature to it. It feels good in our bodies. Yeah. Yeah. Our bodies know what's true and what's not. Our spidey sense, that thing in our body where Mm -hmm. we get that gut reaction to somebody or a situation that we override because we want to please others or we want to not hurt somebody's feelings. And yet we know that the situation is not good for us. I have a dear mentor who says all betrayal is self-betrayal. Yes. Yeah. It's the betrayal of that knowing I belong here. I don't belong here. This person is safe. This person is not safe. The betrayal of not trusting our own inner guidance system 
gets us into all kinds of relationships and jobs and careers. Well, and, and the patterns, the, the patterns. patterns of all of the ugliness. That's right. That's right. So truth has a resonance with love that we feel in our bodies. So even if somebody has to say something to you, like that's hard to hear, mm -hmm. but it's coming from a place of truth and love as they tell it to you, mm -hmm. you can take it. Yeah. You can handle it. Yeah. Right? And when I wake up every morning, I have a, a series of things that I say to myself. And one of them is I am in vibrational alignment with truth. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So your inner guidance system is already awake and mm -hmm. has been leaning into that, that's what's the breadcrumbs to your soul that is mm -hmm. taking you on all the unique twists and turns of your life. I, I, I call those breadcrumbs, but also when you land, there are these things, I call them conscious anchor points, where throughout your life, like you're climbing a mountain and you get a foothold and it, you're solid and you can really feel like, I've got this. Mm -hmm. And then maybe the next step doesn't feel as secure, but you, you never forget that feeling of solidness about who you are, right? Mm -hmm. That's your truth, right? So bias is when we outsource our truth to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Love is when we insource truth, right? Yeah, I like that. I like that. And I, I think I've said this on the show before, but I, there was something that resonated with me once when, it, when someone was saying that a lot of people, most people never truly live their lives right. to their fullest potential um, while their parents are alive. That's true. And I was like, wow, because we do. We're just like, I want to please you. Is what I'm doing what you want me to be doing? Un unless we have parents who are conscious. Yeah. Who give us permission to live our lives, right? We're not living as a reflection of them or a projection of their wounding. We are living an independent, sovereign life. And there are good parents out there who are doing a really good job with their kids on that. But well, and certainly, but I don't even think even in the moment, there's some parts of it that just seem like they go on autopilot. Yeah, of course. You know. We live in a very challenging world that goes against our nervous system. And our individual and collective nervous systems have been on um, PTSD mode for so long we, we don't even recognize it anymore. It is this ocean we are swimming in, right? Mm -hmm. So question number three is, do you know the difference between truth and bias? Truth comes from within. Bias comes from without. Truth lines up with love. Bias lines up with fear. Mm -hmm. So now that storyteller download, I got the day my mom died about, will we know the difference between truth and lies, lies are fear being discovered, you know, the ego protection versus truth, which is I can own my truth, whatever it is, because I'm coming from a place of self-love in that ownership, right? Mm -hmm. So when I'm in a group, we could spend an hour talking about biases and where they come from. And there's a beautiful book, The Goddess and the Alphabet. And, and the author did a beautiful job of going back through our history and figuring out where we went from a more balanced 
masculine, feminine expression. We had goddesses and gods and male deities and female deities. And he said, but when we learned how to write and only certain people were given the pen and the paper, they were men. Yeah. And over time, they wrote us out of the script. So it's a beautiful book. And, you know, you could spend mm-hmm. an hour just exploring that topic. But we understand how we got to be who we are here. There are really smart people that have unpacked this. And I'm not here yeah. to, to right. give their now lecture. Now just get on Google. And it, like, if you yeah. need a refresher course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we can see how the malware of fear has corrupted our human operating totally. system. So then... All right, so if we're conscious enough to see how we got to where we are, why don't we take the steps to fix it? So now we get to question number four. And question number four is the really hard one. You know, you thought unpacking bias was hard? That's outside of us. Now we have to unpack the bias that's inside of us. And question number four is, do we love ourselves enough to heal? Mm. And the answer most of the time is no, we don't. We've let that malware of fear and the judgment and projection that is the result of that so deeply impact our own sense of self that we really don't love ourselves very much. And in fact, I would say the vast majority of humans, although they wouldn't consider themselves suicidal, don't really want to be here. They've never, so sad. they've never fully consented to the human experience. Think about that. That's the, those words are very, very important. I, and I believe it. If someone says, what is your purpose on this planet? I'm like to teach others how to live an inspired life. Yeah. Yeah. Like to be an example of living out loud in my fullest authenticity. That's right. And show people that you can do it. That's right. And, and you know, you and I talked a bit before we started all this and you were sharing your story of trusting yourself, trusting the next step chucking the big career, walking away from the safety and security of the old construct and feeling what self-love felt like to you that I wanted to have a life where I got to love what I do, right? Mm -hmm. And, And so that's what it feels like to consent to the human experience. You are excited to be here. Life isn't perfect, but you are excited to be here because you have shown up fully and completely in your light. You know, everybody talks about ascension and enlightenment. And I, you know, this is my theory of everything on this, that enlightenment is really just owning our own light. And that means you have to fall head over heels in love with yourself. All of you, unconditional love for self is the hardest thing we have to to do. It so is. It's the hardest because we have the malware of fear and judgment that was handed to us, that was handed to our parents. So we are carrying the cumulative disconnection from ourselves, right? So do we love ourselves enough to heal is what's showing up on the planet right now. That's what this movement is that we're going through. Answering that question, are we willing to sit really still and quiet with each other? I mean, I just love, think of how this pandemic has mushroomed 
like it's been in this pregnant gestation for so long and now it's just mushrooming across the planet, the exponential growth. And the only way to slow that virus is for us to look at our role as an individual in service to the greater good, to stay separate from each other, but stay connected. In our separation, we are finding our reconnection. Yes. Oh, that feels so good to hear. Right. Yes. This is the reset on the. That feels true. On the community. There you go, babe. That's exactly how we know. We are resetting our communal operating system, our nervous system, back to a baseline with each other. Now, you have to be really conscious through this process because as that boomerang is spinning at such an extreme torque right now, you can get completely blown out in fear and go buy 12 pallets of toilet paper (laughs) (laughs) and water. Who said the water's going to go off? People have, have, the word apocalypse, if you break it down, means to reveal. And so this movement... There, there's there's plagues and there's locusts in Africa right now. I mean, mm-hmm. all the biblical things that I think some really wise people saw coming, mm-hmm. not as judgments, but as reckoning of the soul back to its baseline of who we are. So question number four is, do we love ourselves enough to heal? Are we willing to look at everything around us and question how it's serving us. And I will tell you that when I quit my old life and moved away, that year and a half of being alone and being self-quarantined, so to speak, truly was the thing that I had to do to get to where I am. That's right. And so it's... For me, hoping that people can hear this and think, oh, now, what a gift this is. Yeah. What a gift that I actually have this time to reflect on the human that I am on this planet and how I can be better and how I can serve my community and how I can help lift the vibration of my friends and neighbors and the people that I work with. That's right. So your body is already saying... This is a good thing. This is going to be a hard thing and a scary thing. But already I see all these creative movements with people like, okay, well, we can't all get together. We're going to get together online or, or we're going to have a food drop-off station and we're going, to, we're going to figure out how to take care of each other without necessarily physically taking care of each other. Like Mm -hmm. we're reestablishing the boundaries, the sovereignty of who we are, but also our communal interconnectedness. I'm, I'm such a fan of Paul Stamets's work and fantastic fungi. And Uh he just released it yesterday to make it available to rent and buy at home. Oh, yay. Yay. Right. (laughs) So you can just see how all the wisdom keepers are like, okay, it's time. The planet's ready. We're going to just lay out these medicines. Look at how psychedelics and cannabis have gone from uh, uh, schedule one and taboo and and now it's just a fait accompli it's coming there's therapists all over the world right now who have patients walking in the door with michael pollan's book saying where do i go do this like the plants are mother nature's way of bringing us back to, into alignment 
Um, this virus is a way of bringing us back into alignment. And uh, watching these pharmaceutical companies crumbling and all of the things, it's just like getting back to baseline, getting yeah. back to the natural state of things. So do we love ourselves enough to heal is the hardest question. So we have to go back in and we have to unpack our timelines. So when I do the healing conversation with people, I say, put down and we get a big piece of paper and we have a line on it and starting, you know, put a little space before you're born and a little space after this moment. But essentially, we're going to capture all the trajectory shifting moments in your life, good and bad. And we're going to recognize them as teachers. Yes, that is such a great exercise. And so from that, you pull the lessons out. And I have this beautiful mantra that I live by, which is that life happens for me, not to me. Yes. And the day I understood that, I went from victim to student. And so I go to school on my wounding. And I it, it's curriculum 101, basics. You know, where did it come from? My parents were wounded. Their parents were wounded. Okay, so it's not that they did it because I was bad, wrong, or unworthy. And so I'm able to look at my story, the molestation, the abuse, all the things that I've been through in my life and recognize that they've all brought me to this moment of who I am. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't change a thing about who I am. I have crossed the Rubicon of self-love. There's no going back. You have to love it all, even the hard stuff. And feeling through the feelings yeah. of each of those monumental so moments from, is so important. From the neck up. Yeah. <laughs> we get it. We're conscious. But the body still wants its day in court. It's been holding. There's a beautiful book, The Body Keeps the Score by Besser van der Kolk. And I read that book and it, it I read the, the ACE score of, you know, people living with child PTSD and I was off the charts. And I, I realized, oh, but I went in a high functioning direction. I became super competent and overachiever and super pleaser. And I, I became, you know, just this facade of light, but never had that light inside myself. And really, when I look at high functioning coping strategies versus low functioning, drug addicts, gambling, porn addiction, all of those things that we have so much shame around, mm -hmm. they're the same energy. Yeah. High functioning, low functioning, they are a representative of the disconnection we have with our own light. So we either overachieve or we underachieve. We have addictions to things outside of ourselves because we don't know how to self-source love. So our source of power comes outside of us. And then when you start having that knowing, you can form those threads of connection with other people who... Mine's being addicted to work. Yours is being a, right. addicted to gambling or whatever. But you can still like That's right. see the wounds and, That's... and help each other heal through those. I am you. You are me. Yeah. We all are suffering from the same lack of consent to the human experience. Because we're seeing it through the lens of victim and not student. And when you can adopt, life happens for me, not to me. You can forgive everything that has come before as a lesson, as a teacher. And if you can do it for yourself, you get to heal your own timeline 
And when you can do it for yourself, you can't help but want to help others yes. heal so their true. timeline. And then we heal the collective timeline. And so this corona, the crown, the, think of, I had all my babies at home. And when that baby crowns, that pressure that you feel, that intensity on the crown of the scalp, uh, of the, you know, the whole brain, the amygdala, everything is feeling the pressure of coming through to something new. The coronavirus, for me, represents this birthing process. And right now we're in that, you know, that transition phase where, you know, we haven't really gotten to the heart pushing yet. We know it's coming. We know we're in labor. We know we need to breathe. Everywhere you look, you know, like Brene Brown is, we need to breathe together. Oprah, we need to breathe together. Everybody's done. Marianne Williamson's writing pieces about, let's just breathe together. And meanwhile, this app is being birthed and, you know, you can just feel that breath is the reset with each other. That if we can take a breath together, we, we've, we've gotten so good at agreeing to disagree, which from my perspective is really just... <sighs> A very polite way of perpetuating hate. And I agree. Last year, one of my main goals was to discover ways to talk about things that are challenging and difficult right. with the people that I love. Right. Because if I can't have those conversations with people that I love and am intimate with, how in the hell are we going to have these conversations with strangers? That's right. That's right. So... We cross the Rubicon of self-love. We go all in on ourselves. I'll tell you a cute story. We weaves right in here because I'm a storyteller. <laughs> As it turns out, I figured that out. <laughs> so I bought this little motor home. I needed to go on walkabout. My poor husband, he has, he's <laughs> been through so many twists and turns with me where I've just said, I'm out of here. I can't stand myself, right? <laughs> And, um, and this was one of those moments. So I bought this motor home and he was very much not in favor of it at first. And, um, I bought the motor home and then the opportunity to go to Burning Man came up and I thought, well, I need a destination and a deadline to get my scared ass out the door to do this at age 60, buying a motor home, never having done anything like this before. <laughs> I decided, okay, Burning Man's a good sort of jump off point. So I inform my partner of nearly 25 years that this is what I'm going to do. And all he's ever heard about Burning Man is about the orgy dome. <laughs> and, um, and, and I'm like, I have been traveling all over the world as a speaker my whole life. I could have been a naughty girl so many times. So you either trust me now or you can't trust me. Yeah. And I, I just like the 12 year old in me was like, come on, you know, like I'm doing this. And so it was tense between us. And as I'm about to drive off the property, it's August and our road is very um, steep and dusty. And by the time August rolls around, there isn't a bit of moisture left. And it's just a sandy, mushy pit getting down the hill. So my 10,000 pound motorhome as I'm about to drive off the property, I head down the hill and I put the brakes on 
and it skews me deep into this rut of sandy soil and runs me off the side of our road into a ditch. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking, my big moment of emancipation, and I can't even get off our own, pardon my French fucking property, right? (laughs) And so I'm having this existential scream coming up in my belly, and he's watching me. I can feel his eyes watching over my shoulder. And I back the, the rig up and and I'm like, oh, I have to get off this land. I have been waiting my whole life to trust myself enough to do this, to go all in on myself. I've got to be able to do this. And I start to drive down and I put the brakes on again and it digs me in deeper. And now I'm really in the ditch and I'm like, and I back it up one more time thank God I'm not stuck and I just say what do I do and this knowing comes through me it says take your foot off the brake and go all in on yourself and I'm like I hold my breath and I take my foot off the brake and I like you you saw you drove up my road today Mm -hmm. it's steep and it turns all of a sudden so going down it's like I glided through it and I got about 300 feet out of earshot he could no longer hear me and I just started screaming and laughing and giggling and like this child came out of me and it's like those times when you let the 12-year-old be in charge and, and, and what comes back is, fuck, yeah, this feels good. <laughs> and, and so all that to say, crossing the Rubicon of love feels like that. You have to take the break off. All the reasons you find not to totally accept and love everything about yourself is a story. It's a projection and a judgment that came from a fear-based world where we were told we were too much or not enough, not good enough. So this is the most sacred breath that we can take, which is the breath of self-love, self-acceptance, and appreciation. Looking at that timeline going, dang, I have endured and trusted and betrayed and been subject to other people's betrayal of self, right? Mm -hmm. I think the other thing too about that timeline is that your pattern is now not just something that your subconscious self is like, I think we've done this before. I think we've done this before. Now it's visually in front of you. Yes. So this, this, timeline exercise becomes a pattern interrupt to the unconsciousness of our patterns, right? So these are five pattern interrupting questions. And you can't even answer question number one because of question number four. You can't answer question number two because of question number four. And you can't answer question number three because of question number four. See, you can't imagine harmony in the world because you don't have harmony within yourself. Right? Yeah. You're not in alignment with self. I mean, mic drop on that one. Right? So true. The biggest work we can do is to 
do our work. We are not good to anybody else in the world until we've done our work, till we have fully consented to the human experience. And that means we have to take all of our story, all of it, the good, the bad, the ugly, the ecstatic, all that it is, and grab it up in our arms in this moment and say, it was been a hell of a ride and I get it. I understand who I am now. And yes, and thank you. Yes, and thank you. I understand that these five questions are integration questions. And I work with so many people who've done psychedelic work but have never integrated that sense of completeness and wholeness and oneness that they feel when they're deep in the arms of Mother Aya or Mushroom or all these tools. And, and so it's, it's, you know, we got a lot of people who are grabbing these tools but don't know how to use them properly. Yes, amen to that. And so cannabis is the tool that so many already have familiarity with, back to THC and up-leveling everybody mm -hmm. to using cannabis from a spiritual perspective. Just hearing these five questions and letting it just float in the endocannabinoid systems of our bodies. People don't even realize that breast milk is loaded with endocannabinoids, that the very reason we love cannabis so much and the reason we can look at a baby and say that baby's milk stone. Yeah, milk right? drunk, yeah. They're milk drunk. It's because they are drunk. They're getting cannabis through mother's milk. And our bodies are made to receive this anandamide, this bliss mm -hmm. molecule. There's, there's no mistaking all of this. It's, you know, when you go from woundology to mythology, in other words, from victim to student, you, you begin to see how cannabis plays such an important role in resetting the human operating system by up-leveling all of our cells to love again, right? Mm -hmm. And my sister always talks about, so my one of my big sisters, Crystal, she is a consciousness coach, and she helps people move energy around traumas and things in their lives and, and help them live the life we're talking about right, right now. Right. And she has said our connection with source is through our nervous system. That's right. And That's so right. until people can find that balance within right. themselves, they're not going to be able to. And of course, she's also talking about, you know, 3D, 5D, you know, the yes. how we're, you know, the level of consciousness on the planet is raising, right. which means that there will be uncomfortable feeling shifts that yes. are happening. Transformational tension, we call it. Okay. And, and so it's that boomerang image again. Get us, see it spinning out there. The torque is so extreme right now. The disorientation to the old way of being and doing. Look at us. We're just going to shut the planet down for a month or two or six or 12 Think of what's about to happen. Right. We don't know. The curse of certainty has now been disrupted by such mass worldwide uncertainty that all we're going to have is what we can handle within our own biology, which is resetting back to love. Right. So question number four is, do we love ourselves enough to heal? And unless we can say yes to that, all in. Self-Rubicon, 
of love, crossed it over, been there, done that, got this. Not perfect. Still have days of doubt and fear. That's okay. Certainly. Keeps us humble. Keeps us moving forward. Reminds us we're students. Reminds us we're students. Always present to the learning that's before us, right? Then we move on to question number four. And notice how... Or five. Five. Thank you. Question number five is kind of the assumptive close. Ooh. The salesman in me is very interesting. Yeah. So question one is, are you ready for the healing conversation? And then we go to, are you, can you believe in harmony? And are you ready to let go of your bias? And do you love yourself enough to let go of the bias that keeps you from loving yourself? So the next question should kind of maybe go back to, well, now are you ready for the healing conversation? And so the next question disrupts that belief too. What is your role in the healing conversation? I like that. It's an assumptive close because we've just unpacked a whole field of potentiality here that shows us. I have yet to share this with somebody and have them come back and say, I don't want to heal. So the next step is what's the role? And I say, you don't have to do anything else. We we can agree to disagree on everything, but let's agree to agree on this one thing, just this one thing, that we are wired for love, that we came here, whatever your theory of everything, whether it's a Christ version, a Buddha version, a Muslim version, an Allah version, a Sunni, Shiite, all the different theories of everything, the devotional practices that people align with, whatever that is, if we could all just put all of that outside of ourselves for a moment and just recognize what our bodies tell us, and that is we are here to love and be loved. And will you just take that breath with me? Don't commit to anything. Don't agree to anything. Just this one thing that we will breathe a breath at the top of every hour, that we are here to bring love into this world and to be love, to indeed make love to the human story. To manifest love is to make love in human form. When I had that pulmonary embolism, I felt the oneness, and it's never left me because it was always with me to begin with. You just had to have that moment. I had to have that remembrance. And now the whole planet is having it. That's right. We can look back at our timelines and see those trajectory moments where we said yes to ourselves or where we got our ass kicked. And in every single movement, if we pay attention as students, we can see the growth that came. Like my first marriage, big teacher, learned a lot. Being in the church, Sunday school teacher, taught me a lot. Every I can look at my entire timeline, even the really hard things, and appreciate what they inform about who I am now. Uh, there's, a, there's an interesting show on, I think it's Netflix, called Messiah. It had one season of it. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's worthy of, okay, I'll check it out. The storytellers are doing a really good job in Hollywood right now, like creating all of these wonderful off book 
types of of movies and series like the OA and um, there's just a whole bunch of them that you can binge on and they all have like consciousness as the subplot to them like we're waking up from mm -hmm. something we're breaking out of a matrix like we all know that there's something really magical afoot right now and I can project what that is to somebody else but they're not ready to hear it so all I ask of everybody is, will you just breathe with me? Just breathe. So for the next 18, 24 months while we're going through this birthing process, we're going to take a breath together at the top of every hour and our phones are going to go from FOMO to Joji, right? Yeah. And we're going to have this website where people, I want to, I don't own this. I'm not labeling anything with copyrights or the healing conversation is a, a gift to the world. It isn't mine. These five questions I want to teach to anybody who will listen and how to use them and orient them toward race relations, towards gender healing, towards sexual expression towards children, towards health care, towards the planet, towards food, towards, we need to have a healing conversation about everything right now. Everything. And so the passion pods are the place where we start to have the healing conversation, where we let go of the curse of certainty we have about how things should be to open up to a field of pure potentiality. Because, you know, Charles Eisenstein's work, um, I'm careful not to move into his content too much because I think he and I are tapping into the same place, right? Interesting. And, and he's unpacking elements of the structure of it. He's, he's an architect of the enabling of the shift. He's, he's really, I can oh, see wow. what okay. his role is. Mm -hmm. And mine is too from a different perspective. But he talks about we are so afraid to take the next step because we don't see how this this whole new path is going to lay out for us. But he says, we won't know until we're all there. He says, we'll reach a point of morphic resonance where the shift is its own movement. And we will see things like what you see about life now it took you a while to get that visual acuity, right? Right. We we don't yet have the conditions of thought and beingness as a collective to see what we're capable of as a collective. So we just have to trust the next right step. And we learn what the next right step is by realigning with our inner guidance system to learn what yes and no really feels like. Yeah for us, what's true and what's not true. Where does that, where does our body inform? Mm -hmm. Where yeah. does our where central do feel that? That's yeah. right. So we have probably three generations of cleanup on aisle three <laughs> before we're, we're like where we've turned the corner completely. This is just the first major reset it's going to take two or three reboots as we go through. And, and I, you can look back in our history and see the Roaring Twenties and the 60s and the introduction of psychedelics and opium dens. And, you know, we've been using plant medicines for a long time to step outside of the habit of thinking the way we think mm -hmm. about things. Yeah, to blast constructs. That's right. And so now we're going to do it consciously. We're going to use these tools and we're going to really sit down. At, I had this one download that 
it's called the great debate idea. And so I want to go into Facebook is a good place because you got all ilk on it. And, and you basically, you take the taboo topics like abortion, for example, and you create a page where people can present their most cogent argument for their theory of everything around abortion. And people vote, upvote could be on Cora. I mean, there's lots of places uh-huh. for this, but people would upvote and go, that guy does a really good job of representing my viewpoint, or that gal has got my ideas encapsulated. Mm-hmm. And, and so people are brought up to a certain level, and then those people are put into a structure where they really get to speak their theory of everything on why abortion is okay or why it's not okay, as an example. And then people, and then by doing it that way, you have the most comprehensive and coherent thoughts on each subject in front of you finally. And finally. And so we've, we sort of elevated the spokespersons Mm -hmm. for our curse of certainty. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) certainly. (laughs) Okay. And then you take those people and you separate them out and you put them on a debate team to be able to present their arguments live in front of an audience. Only behind the scenes, what happens is you and I have to switch places. I have to argue your position and you have to argue mine. And that means I have to understand. It's like a debate competition it's in a, high school. It's like a debate competition. And, and, and the point is, is I have to walk in your shoes your biases to understand how you got to your curse of certainty and you have to do the same for me. And then at the end we present and the audience decides whose, you know, argument wins and you might be arguing so well that you convince people of the other people and then surprise, surprise, they figure out that wasn't your argument. Uh Then you get to go into a think tank round two as you go into a think tank with those same people and, and thought leaders and subject matter experts on the numbers and the reality of unwanted pregnancies and poverty and how um, this toxic fear has created an oppressive environment for women to fully express in their maternal choices. So we have been, so you could see how we could begin to sort of unpack how we got to that and then come to a point of suggesting all the parties come together and suggest policy that addresses both the individuation of thought and the cohesion of what the greater good is. I love it. Right? So there's all of these practices that take what we are feeling in our bellies about truth and begin to amplify them across the planet as platforms for a new way, a third way, not your way, my way. Well, in a productive way. In a productive way. So what is your role in the healing conversation is question number five. And so the first part of that role is you do you. You go all in on you. Take the foot off the brake. Do the thing that has been calling to you. Everybody has this. There's this whisper in our bellies, this truth that we're better 
than how we're showing up and that we're living out of alignment with truth. We know this. Even people that don't agree with me politically, they recognize that we are not living up to our promise as a species. Mm-hmm. We know this. So let's stay there. Let's hang with that idea for a little bit and recognize that we first have to know what we want. We have to consent. We have to want to be here. We have to want to heal this divide. So that's the first piece is, you know, the role in the healing conversation is you do you. Go all in on you. And here's what happens. The butterfly effect of you making choices that line up with your own enlightened self-interest can't help but have a ripple effect. Some will perceive it negatively, but they get to have their own epiphany. For example, my father and I danced a dance my whole life. And just so happens in about two years before his passing, I was coming into my own truth about what had happened between he and I, and I needed space from him. And I drew a boundary. Love is a boundary. Self-love is I love myself enough to set a boundary, to not put myself with people or situations that are not in my own enlightened self-interest. I love that. And I hope everyone heard that. Yeah. Love is a boundary. Fear is an untended boundary. I was afraid my father would feel hurt or sad if I withdrew from him. But loving myself enough finally to set a boundary to say, I'm not going to make you wrong. I'm not going to divorce myself from you. I'm just going to create some spaciousness around myself and make different choices about how I spend my time with you. And, and it was really hard for me to do that because I know he felt my absence. But what I also realized as as he was feeling my absence, he was also feeling my true presence for the first time in my life. Only in my absence could he feel my presence. Up to that, I never had independence from his ego. I was always a reflection of him. I was never independent of him. So he got to have his own epiphany about that. And a few weeks before he passed, we had a beautiful exchange of, I'm sorry, and please forgive me. I don't think he ever would have come to that had I not set a boundary of self-love for myself. Only in my absence did he feel my presence. And so this, what is my role in the healing conversation? Sometimes owning our truth, taking care of ourselves is hard for other people. But if we're doing it from a place of self-love, it opens the door for them to have an epiphany on their side. Yeah, that is true. I feel that. So loving ourselves is a gift to everyone around us, even if they don't perceive it as one. Yes. In the beginning. That's what we have to trust. That's where loving ourselves, we're feeling good in our own bodies, not betraying our own truth, begins to have that butterfly effect, that ripple effect out into the... And sometimes owning that truth and creating that space 
can feel in and of itself lonely and isolating. Oh, and all I, the time. I, I tell people all the time about how I hug myself. And I'm like, you know, when you feel that alone, yeah. I'm like, find a mirror. Yeah. Wrap your arms around yourself. Yeah. And just tell yourself how much you love yourself. Just the feeling of a hug that can cure loneliness mm-hmm. it, in that moment when you're like, I know what I'm doing is right, but it's hard. Yeah. You know, we came here to learn to love and be loved. My theory of everything is we all come from a unity field of light, each with our own unique expression, no different from each other, all points of light in the universe. We come to this human experience. If I describe it like a video game, people really can relate to this. So the game is this. You're going to land in this human story and you're going to forget where you come from. But we're going to build in a backdoor hack that will always be the secret backdoor that brings you home. But you have to find it. So it's the hero's journey of your story to continually be looking for that that secret back door into who you are, the remembrance. So the, the healing conversation is really the remembering conversation. Yeah. Right. Remembering who we are and our bodies tell us we're wired for love. So that's the back door hack. So it took me sitting really still for months and months and months, just looking at my timeline and loving every bit of it, unpacking it through the lens of love, not fear not judgment, not shame. And on the other end of that, there's this almost giggle, this childlike innocence that you meet in yourself again. That same light that you see in people's eyes when a baby giggles, you start to have that for yourself again. And you realize that you've not let a lot of love in over the years. So that isolation all of a sudden goes to an awareness Mm -hmm. that even the people who do want to love you, you don't let that in either. You didn't let it in for yourself. You couldn't let it in from anybody else. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden where that isolation was a limitation before, now it's an awareness that you've created this protective bubble. It's been a coping strategy not to let people get too close. Yeah, because we didn't have good boundaries of self-love. You know, this is, we come from this boundaryless field of light to live a fully boundaried experience. And so boundaries are the lesson of the human story is to learn to live in sovereign physical form, separate from our oneness, but within the oneness. I like that. Yeah. Yes. So our role in the healing conversation is to fall in love with ourselves. And in doing so, we create the conditions necessary to forgive not just everything that happened in our timeline, but everybody else's timeline too. And so we're moving into this time in our story, the human hero's journey. I call it the for grieving period, forgiveness and grieving in the same movement that we we have to grieve it. The bodies need to release the grief that we've been carrying for so long. But we can't do that until we're ready to forgive all that has come before us. And so 
there's a lot of people that go through this world saying they love you and, you know, it's all roses and service and all that. But really, until they've crossed their own Rubicon of self-love, they're showing up with an ask and not an offering. Mm -hmm. You know, these people who are, I'm here to help you and support you. But really what they're doing is hoping you will reflect back to them worthiness for doing that. Mm -hmm. When we can self-source love... We don't need to get it from the outside. We have an endless supply that we can offer to others. And that creates a rich exchange with others without expectation, without judgment, without limitation. Now, all of a sudden, we're in the realm of unconditional love. I was fixing to say, when when you're saying this, you know, I've had experiences or boyfriends or whatever, when, you know, you tell someone a story and they're just like, Oh my God, I hope you never spoke to him again. I'm like, actually, no, we're friends. And it's just like this idea of unconditional love. It truly is the thing that I try to be and walk and model. And it's loving those people who have done you wrong and just showing up where it doesn't matter what you do to what you ever do. I will always love you. Right. And when you show up in that space, you become the f- person that someone just senses like, oh, this person won't judge me. Like I right. can talk to this person. Yeah. You know, you're the stranger that someone was like, there's not assigned seating at this huge event. And like, oh, that looks like a nice person. I'll go sit with them. Right. Like, you know, people start becoming drawn to that person that shows up with unconditional love. I right. mean, It's such a magnetic thing. So I'll give you another layer to this, which has really saved me. Um, It's a beautiful quote, and I I don't know where it comes from. I hope to give attribution to it someday where I read it once, and it just zinged me, and then I couldn't find it again. But basically, boundaries are the distance between you and I where I can love us both fully. I like that. Boundaries are the distance between you and I where I can love us both fully. And what that's saying is... Not everybody gets to come close in. You can love some people from afar. Mm -hmm. You know, there are some people in my life that I love just fine on a very casual social basis, but I don't feel safe to let them into my inner circle. Conscious intimacy with another human being is big work, and you have to trust that that person is as present to the work as you are to be able to open up fully. That's why so many relationships end. Yes, conscious intimacy. Yes. And that is why I'm almost 44 and single and never been married. Yeah. And thank God I don't have that like biological clock like pounding through me like, hey, bitch, put a baby in me. (laughs) You know? Yeah. I haven't had that. So I can be like, this isn't my match. And and I love myself. Right. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm not in any rush. I'm like, whatever. And hap- you don't feel a sense of lack. No. 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 None. And, and so you have transcended the uh, construct of you're only worth something if you're with somebody. Yeah. Right. Um, Stephen and I, we've been together a long time on our 20th anniversary. We went for a picnic, sat by the river. And, um, 
he's a good man just because he survives these conversations that I bring up. <laughs> and I, I just said, honey, I'd like a new contract between us. We've had 20 years on this contract. You fulfilled, you, you showed up, you were a, a good partner and, and, and we've built a business together and a life together and a good dad and, you know, all that. But I want new terms in the new contract. You know, you're eight years older than I am, but theoretically, let's say we've got another 20 to 30 years together. You know, I'm not saying this last time I went renegotiate, but this is a big <laughs> moment for me. And, and he's looking at me like, oh, my God, is she going to ask for an open marriage? What's next? And, <laughs> and, um, and he says, well, I, all right, then I want to get my stipulations in there, too. And I said, yeah, go for it. What do you want? And he says, well, I, I want more connection with you, more conscious intimacy with you. And I said, wow, that's great. That's going to line up really well with mine. Because you know what mine is? Radical honesty. Radical honesty. And that means I don't know exactly what I want in terms of action steps from you. What I want is radical honesty that we'll figure this out together, whatever that means that I am here in service to giving you the space to grow and you are here in service to giving me the space to grow. That's what conscious intimacy is. That's a beautiful thing. I want that. Yeah. It's an advanced dance because to, to fully express in relationship is the hardest. You can express all by yourself in your sweet little lifestyle. You got it going on, girl, right? <laughs> But to show up fully present with another human being and still hold the boundary, because we're trained to let go of our boundaries in relationship. That's why we lose ourselves in relationship. There's a wonderful book written years ago that pivotal moment on my timeline, The Erotic Silence of the American Wife, and this therapist went out and interviewed women who were having affairs, and she made the assumption that they were doing it for the same reason their partners were. And she said it blew her away. She said um, men went and had affairs because they felt like they wanted to still be seen by um, the opposite sex as virile and sexy and all of that. Women did it because they didn't know how to ask for it in their own relationships. They had that Donna Reed syndrome, if you're mm -hmm. old enough to know who Donna Reed I is. Do. And, you I know, watch Nick at night. There you go. So, <laughs> you know, the pearls and the, and the heels and the dress answering the door with dinner on the table. Um, we have a societal construct that really um, attached itself to us in such a way that women didn't know how to be um, the, the old saying about the prostitute and the, and the saint, right? You know, mm -hmm. we, we, we don't know how to reconcile our sexuality with motherhood, with wifedom. And, mm -hmm. and so the book really explored that. And, and I, I realized with Stephen and I, even as conscious as we are, and this is what integration work is about, even as conscious as you are by yourself, asking to be met in that consciousness with another human. That's, yeah, that's scary. That's scary. That's because you have to be radically honest with yourself before you can be radically honest with them. And so that brings us back to question number four, right? It all comes back. But if I start the healing conversation with, do you love yourself enough to heal? 
Yeah, people are like, uh, cannot compute. <laughs> can't compute, can't. So we, we lay this foundation of, are you ready? What do you think of the concept of harmony? What gets in the way of that? And then we slide into the one that is the blockage for all of it, which is, do we love ourselves enough to let go of the story of separation? Do and we- I think, too, even shifting, you know, because it's painful. I mean, physically yes. painful to yeah. uncover these things yeah. and for people to know that you have to get through to get through that pain there's such beautiful things waiting for you on the other, the other side, side of it that's right and cannabis is such a great conduit during yes. that journey because it does allow that i don't the pain moves you know yes. the pain comes in tears the pain comes in laughter the you know it, you you feel it but it's it's not heavy and dense and sitting there yeah yeah that's right it's it's moving now it's not stuck matter it has room and spaciousness mm-hmm. to to be seen differently i i went back to mama aya a year after she told me about the sacred witnessing piece and i thanked her how much my life had blossomed by being witnessed in my truth by others and I said, I understand it's the least we can do for each other. And she like hit me upside the head and says, no, my child, <laughs> to witness another fully and completely from a sacred perspective is the most we can do for each other. That's what we came here to do is witness each other, embody our light, right? Yeah the most not the least we can do not the minimum we can do for it's the most we don't need to fix each other we don't need to tell each other who's right who's wrong just be here to witness each other i see you doing you going all in on you trusting you struggling with you not liking you i see that right Mm-hmm. To be that mirror for each other because your story is my story. We're all, the game is played that we all come in here with this degree of difficulty of amnesia, spiritual amnesia. And we all have to be different for this whole thing to work. That's like, right. If we all had the same perspective, this would be boring as fuck. That's right. That's right. We are all a droplet of paint on the canvas of the story. Each unique, some bringing more light to the story, some bringing more shadow to the story. The shadow is a part of the story. It is baked into, I always laugh, the story of Adam and Eve, like Eve's, you know, the fall of man came from Eve. Oh, come on. A woman screwed everything up. Everything. And yet she's given the power to bring life. Okay, let's reconcile those two, right? Like the whole toxic fear overlay on what is a truly extraordinary mythology that came forward through Christianity, that forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. They are asleep. They are in a state of unconsciousness to who they are, right? And that forgiveness and letting some other judgment have its story over here, forgiveness is the key, right? So we can have good boundaries with people, and still 
forgive them and keep them at a distance. Like you, it's great that you still have a relationship with your boyfriend, exes, and that's, Mm -hmm. that's a beautiful thing. But that doesn't mean everybody has to go back and spend time with their abuser. Right. There's, there's, there's degrees. No, I wasn't abused. (laughs) True, true that. Didn't mean to imply. Just that sometimes people confuse forgiveness with Complete acceptance and allowance. No. Well, and the other thing too is that sometimes one person is read like I don't. I want to have you in my life. Yeah. You're like, mm, but I don't. Yeah. And that is your truth, and that is okay. And that to them would, instead of feeling rejection in that moment, would be an indicator that oh, there's a misalignment here. I need to move on. I can feel sad. I can feel loss. But I don't have to feel that I'm less than because we didn't line up. Mm-hmm. We got all kinds yeah. of story that is not our story to carry anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. Question number five is what's the role? So I just, it's an assumed connection that we all carry in our bellies that we know we're better than how we're showing up right now. I'm so grateful for you for taking the time to to walk me through this. I mean, when you called me and said, you know, the healing conversation that we were going to do, we're canceling it. I just, and I was just like, no, I need her. I, Mm -hmm. I need to go see her. I need a healing conversation. We all do. Yeah. And you know, and that's the thing with all of this coronavirus and the panic pandemic that's happening. I just thought if I need this being, where I vibrate in the world, I can only imagine that other people need this 10x. Well, we all do. And, and so I, I'm, I'm glad that we were able to do this yeah, out loud. But if people want to continue with you and learn more about the app and be a part of the healing conversation, what directions do you have for them? So there's um, a couple places. One is a Facebook page called The Healing Conversation. And it's a public page and I post memes at the top of the hour and I'm trying to fill it with, with conscious content right now. And it's really beautiful and I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's my full time job right now is to keep putting out there like a pulse until the app launches in July of this year just reminding people, take that breath together. So you can, you know, talk into your phone and say, Siri, set me up with a reminder to take a breath of love at the top of every hour and boom, you're in the system. What you're missing is the witnessing, but that will come as soon as the app arrives, then people will be able to do that. So Facebook page, there's also a page on uh, YouTube called The Healing Conversation that has um, some of these sacred downloads that I shared with you. And um, so you'll see me in full channel. And, um, and then also I just launched a new website called ofonebreath.org. It's a not-for-profit. And it is the umbrella that holds both the Be Love app and the Healing Conversation. And it's it's right now we're using it for fundraising. I, this is, I'll, I know we're closing and wrapping, but I'll just tell you that when I had the ruptured Achilles and I went into this out-of-body experience, um, very 5-MeO-DMT-ish, um, and I, I was told, sit very still and the he- healers and helpers will come to you. Um, in August of last year, a beautiful human showed up um, right in the space that we're sitting in tonight. 
and um, heard the healing conversation and about the app. And she goes, I'll, I'll fund it. I've got your back. And so the, the app is guaranteed. We have all the funding for that. What I'm asking people for now in terms of fundraising, this isn't one of those things like if we don't get the money, it's not going to happen. No, it's happening. In fact, it's we're so happy. It's so happening. Um, and the launch date is, you know, it's solid. We know that we're going to have the app. But what I'm asking people to donate for now is I need help with PR. I need help with marketing with helping to get this message out. So I want to hire somebody to help us with that. Um, I want to do an animated video. So there's, there's, there's some things that will enhance the platform Mm -hmm. and the launch of this. Cause remember, we're trying to get to 11 million people and right now they're sitting really still and listening. And so the app will have this page where we're going to feed these beautiful memes, these ways of rethinking about how we've attached to this curse of certainty. So the healing conversation is going to be woven throughout. So Facebook page, YouTube page, ofonebreath.org. And then I use Marco Polo. And when I have the most raw downloads, right now there aren't that many people. There's like 60 people. Like I'll sit up late at night on cannabis. And when I get a download, I record it. And it's raw and it's, it's slow sometimes. So they have to go on two X to bring up the speed a little bit, but there's some really beautiful stuff coming through right now about what's happening all around us and not be afraid to really trust our inner knowing that this is a gift that life happens for us, not to us. And for some getting a little reminder every few days about that is what's necessary to keep the faith, to keep moving forward, to trust. Certainly, because when something is new and foreign to us, we need the repetition, we need the practice, we need the reminder. We will stay in a curse of certainty even when it is detrimental to us. It is only when we adopt an attitude of enlightened self-interest that we will take the steps necessary to heal that which is our birthright to consent to the human experience fully and completely, all of it, good, bad, ugly. And then you wake up one day and you go, this is a hell of a ride. I do that a lot. And it's, I, I'm just a curious three-year-old every day, like what's going to happen next? Who, That's how I, like right now, I'm like, oh my God, this is insane. But like, this Who is knew amazing. a week ago, two weeks ago, that we would be where we are now? And this is, we should tell them today is March 14th so they know they'll see the progression of the virus Mm -hmm. and the progression like right now in Italy people are singing from their balconies together I've seen that yes so the breath just I know I'm going long this that's okay we'll make it a (laughs) two-parter we'll make it a (laughs) two-part but so the first part of the app is the breath and then we're going to sing together and we're going to learn new songs together and we're going to start to go from intentional breath to harmonized intention. And then we're going to dance together and we're going to move into physical spaces with each other again when this virus passes from a whole new place of um, ecstatic dance, but not touching and not sexual. And I mean, there's just these layers of reconnection with each other. I'm an enabler of the shift. And so there's a whole protocol that's laid out before us I to do this. Wait. And I will say I did the big quiet. It was a, a group 
movement. I mean, someone put it together, but moving around to major cities where people meditate Mm. together. Mm. And there was a sound healing session. And one of the most powerful bits for me was when we start chanting together and like making that, you know, this resonating sound. Mm -hmm. It is so powerful. It resets our communal nervous system with each other again. Yeah, singing together and then embodying movement and dance and drumming and ritualizing the healing so that we can have these forgiveness and grieving circles. Because we do have to move through the grief of our past. These sort of reconciliation councils, like when Nelson Mandela came out of prison, he immediately set up these healing circles. We, we, mm-hmm. we have work to do, and the healers who've been preparing their whole lives, saying no to children and yes to Italy. And, you know, now is our time. We are the, you know, I don't know if you've been tracking this, but the Dalai Lama came out and said, we're not doing the reincarnation thing anymore. We are the Buddha. I saw that on your page. Yeah, we are the Buddha. And, and so it's no longer attaching to a single person as our savior. Yeah. We are are the ones we've been waiting for. That's right. I love that. We are the ones we've been waiting for. And so we have to trust that. Go all in on what we have been feeling, what we call woo-woo on the weekends. We go off and we do our Aya ceremonies and our other beautiful medicine journeys, and we hold that light so beautifully in those sacred spaces. And this is about showing up with each interaction, with each human. It isn't necessarily big, grandiose things that we're building. It's how we build bridges with each other now. That's the most important work. And what comes after that will be a natural extension of the communal reset that we're doing with each other now. I want to high-five you, but I know that's not sanitary. <laughs> yeah, we'll just do... I do the uh, the Joji butterfly on the chest. Okay. You know, you <laughs> just a little... Honoring you, I see you, and that we're all part of this breath, this communal reset together. Well, thank you for who you are mm. and for why you are here, your purpose. It means everything, and I'm just so grateful to know you. Thank you. It took us a while to find this space together, but I think the timing is exactly as it needs to be. You're so right. I mean, it's been yeah. almost a year of us trying to do this, and it couldn't have happened at a better time. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I recognize everyone isn't into quote-unquote woo, but I really hope that what you heard today seemed reasonable and practical and logical because it is practical woo. Woo! Yes! I hope Edie stirred you to reconnect with your light and to cut ties with the curse of certainty. It's okay to not know. Cannabis can be a powerful tool as we learn to embrace uncertainty and begin shedding old beliefs and constructs that aren't serving your highest good or mine or the planet's. Where did this shit come from? Stop doing what you think you're supposed to do, that curse of certainty. Discover who you are meant to be and share that gift. And when the growing hurts because it hurts, I've been living it. I feel it. 
when my heart breaks, when I feel that deep pain in my chest that just makes me want to buckle over. In my mind, I visualize my heart physically growing. It hurts so bad because my heart is getting bigger and it's busting out of its exoskeleton to make room for this beautiful heart that has even more capacity for love. So use that metaphor when you're hurting and the life lessons feel painful. But also I want you to remember you are mid-metamorphosis, my friend. And you are becoming a fucking fabulous butterfly. To help keep you inspired and connected, I invite you to breathe a conscious breath with us at the top of each hour. And then keep it going. Love can be love. I got the West Coast smoke, but I better just take one toe. The Be Love Top of the Hour Breathing app and the Healing Conversation are the first of many layers of consciousness enabling tools by Edie Osborne. Go to ofonebreath.org to learn more or visit the podcast show notes at casuallybaked.com where I will share Edie's bio, how to connect with her, how to get involved with the app, how to make a donation to help bring this all to life. As we all respect the social distancing rules in place, I encourage you to connect with me on social. I'm at Casually Baked on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And I'm currently catching up on your listener emails. There's so much going on, and I am trying to take advantage of the world telling me to slow down. So... I'm being forgiving with myself. I hope you can be forgiving with me too. But keep them coming and you'll help shape future episodes of this podcast. Submit your can of curious questions at casuallybaked.com. And if you get value out of the time we spend together, please support my efforts by becoming a podcast patron at patreon.com backslash casuallybaked. Another easy way to show love and appreciation for the work I do is to share this podcast with a friend or family member. And since we can all use a healing conversation right about now, I hope you'll puff puff, pass it on. Casually Baked the Podcast was created, recorded, and produced by yours truly. Editing and sound design are in the capable hands of Arnav Gupta, The podcast theme music is by my highly talented friend, Seth Walker. If you aren't familiar with Seth's music, you can find High Time on his album, Gotta Get Back, wherever you're buying your music these days. I know he didn't create High Time for me, but it sure as shit sounds like he did, right? I hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.